Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and I'm joined by the I haven't bred any goats yet person, Danielle Caroli. How's it going? It's going well, John. How are you? Oh, I mean, I'm swell. I came back from convention, and even prior to convention, I bred one doe, but uh, convention, I came back, and I had a doe in heat, grabbed the buck, bred her. Next day, another doe in heat, bred the buck, or <laughs> bred the buck, got the buck and bred her. Yeah, then everything stalled out, so we're kind of waiting for four more does to come into heat, but we're just kind of hanging out, waiting for does, and maintaining. I cleaned out the barn the other day so well one stall of the barn next monday will be the other side of the barn and uh yeah we're just kind of cranking along how about you well nothing that exciting to report um as john sweats and starts to go oh my gosh she's not going to breed any goats and i'm going to be <sighs> alone in this kidding season of 2023 and have no one to commiserate yet all of my does are just kind of hanging out. I was thinking, and it was reported back, that I probably had a lot of does in heat while I was away at convention. I'm just going to kind of sit back, keep checking the does, see what's going on each day. But I came to the realization that there's no real rush this year. I don't have nationals close enough to me. I really like the growth on my April kids, including two of the three are April 24th and 25th of 2022. And they're growing well. They're doing well. We started moving them in with the main herd and they're doing well with that. I'm really working on patience and accepting that they'll come into heat. I'll get them bred and it'll be okay. And I just have to wait a couple of days. So I'm not in a rush and just kind of, you know, we'll see what happens and we'll go from there. Yeah. I mean, June kids are always just a pleasure. So I'm sure that's really what you're, you're striving for. (laughs) We are not even midway through October. I have probably another two weeks until my does come into heat. That'll give me late March kids. If they recycle, that'll give me early April kids. We are fine. Yeah, I'm just disappointed that if Jem has a doe kid, it won't be in the same class as whatever doe kid you get from your experimental. A little disappointing. They'll be competing at the championship lineup, so it'll be fine. They will see each other in the ring. How are you feeling after uh, convention? You feeling good? Or I know some people... I uh, came back feeling yucky. I, Tierney had a cold. Uh, it wasn't COVID, just a cold, but uh, she was feeling yucky. I know a couple of friends of ours also uh, were feeling the hangover. How are you feeling? I am recovered. I didn't get sick. Had a few days of 
my feet weren't walking as quite as fast as they should. There was a little bit of drag, but now it's back at it and it's going and that's about it for me. How about you? Are you recovered? Oh yeah. My farmer's foot feet are, uh, you know, up and going. We, I, I felt like the day after, uh, or the day we got home, I felt pretty rough. I was just tired. Then I had to go into work and luckily they were like, you know what? You, you can, you can take the day off. It's fine. Use it as your holiday. And I was like, gee, thanks. So, uh, so I, I'm, I was tired and, and kind of just moped around all day. But then the next day I got up and hit the ground running, um, getting some projects done before snow season hits, you know? Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> it's coming. Get your projects done, folks. Uh, oh, listen. As the leaves are, we are in peak fall here. The leaves are changed. I feel like they literally changed overnight. Um, they are now falling on the ground and I had to turn my heat on at my house. So I am well aware that winter will be here very shortly. So you go by the, the leaves changing. I go by the bucks running and not the buck goats. We're talking about buck deer over here. Uh, once I see them running, chasing them does and, and you see them a little bit more often. I know fall and winter is on the way. What was that? Listen, I love deer season, okay? And I'm amped, okay? Yeah, it's just it's just one of my many passions. I am a multifaceted person. Oh, I wasn't talking about the interest. I was talking about the voice change, but Oh, well, you, know. you know, you got to get into your your deer season talk, right? You got to got to really dig into that southern drawl. <sighs> Once again to all the listeners, I apologize on the behalf of my co-host. Everybody, you are welcome. Uh well, I guess uh that's enough chit-chat. We've got a lot to cover this week, Danielle. Uh like we said, we came back from convention. We were there. You were there the full week. Yes, I was. And we did have that live episode which we shared last week we hope you enjoy that and then now we just wanted to kind of give everybody an update on things that happened at convention share our experiences talk about it a little bit where do you want to start john well you were there before i was so let's talk about why you were there before i was and that's the judges tz how'd that go it went well. Actually, I've been to a TC or two. And <laughs> I have to say this is probably one of the best TCs I've attended. Really? Um, it, just the people and the general attitude of the judges, potential judges, train um, auditors, everybody there. Usually you hear, oh, the TC was horrible and they really like it was just a stress show or, or, you know, whatever the right word would be. But it was stressful. And don't get me wrong. It was stressful. But the way it was run this year and the people there, I don't know. It was just it was a different atmosphere. There was. More camaraderie, but then there also was just a general kind of ease 
about it that really was a game changer, I think, and made it for a really successful TC. The only thing that I can really tell that was different, different from some of the TCs I've attended in the past, they called your number up to go in front of the panel. So for those that aren't aware, on the first day of the TC, you take a written test and you also work with the panel. And this year there was enough judging candidates that we had two panels. So there was six panelists there. And so in the afternoon on the first day of the TC, we worked with the panelists, we saw classes, we worked to place them, give practice sets of reasons, kind of something we did a little bit of discussion on this categories of the scorecard, whether it be memory systems, general appearance, dairy strength, or body capacity. So that was kind of Saturday. But then Sunday, or the second day of the TC, you move into your pool classes, and then you're given, you have to give two sets of reasons. So one on a milking class and one on a dry dough class. And the pool classes are classes of four, where all you have to do is place them. You don't have to stand up and give them a reason why. You're just placing them one, two, three, and four. We had our pool classes going on on one side of the fairgrounds and then the panel, the two panels with two sets of goats each were on another side of the dairy goat barn at the New York State Fairgrounds. And so typically in the past, you volunteer to go in front of the panel and you got to give your two sets of reasons, but it just kind of is like, okay, who wants to go next? Who wants to go next? You basically are like, oh, I'll go. Oh, no, somebody else go in. Okay, let me back up. And so I don't know if it's just a little bit of like the anticipation and then the relief and then the anticipation and then the relief as you're working through it, or if we just had a great set of panels or whatever. But um, I mean, the handlers were great. The goats were nice. It was just a really good panel. And so it was a successful TC. Nice. So you you maintained yeah. your license then? No. Um, I advanced. I was an apprentice judge, and I advanced to my two-year. Boom. Let's go. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah, so thank you. Um, thank you. It was really exciting. It was, you know, you go through, you go, oh, I don't think I'm going to get there. There was a whole roller coaster there, but it ended up, I ended up with a two-year. So really excited about that. And then we also, as a community, have four new apprentice judges, which is really exciting, particularly because for me, three of them are also from New York State. Mm -hmm. And I was discussing with some of the other judges at the, uh, the TC. And in the past couple of years, New York State, the New England area, Northeast, we've been down a few judges and for some of them have just are no longer, you know, life changes. Some of them are no longer accepting assignments, aging out. There's just, there's so many factors on why we don't have the same capacity of judges that we used to. And so several of us really had to do a lot of judging this year to just help out with that fact because 
We are blessed to have a lot of sanctioned shows in our area. And so all those sanctioned shows need judges. And so now we have three new judges in the New York State area to kind of help spread it out and take some excitements. And so that is really good. Um, So the four new judges, um, and again, they received their apprentice judging license, are George Andrews Jr., Paige Warren, Ashley Burton, and Helen Powers Light. So congratulations to them. And then congratulations to all of the candidates who either maintained their level of license or moved up. I know several got their four-year from their two-year. Several apprentices advanced several apprentices advanced to two years. So it was a really good TC. Well, that's awesome. And and Lord knows we need uh, new judges and, and excited judges as well. So that's really great. I'm glad that uh, we've grown to more numbers. I mean, four new apprentice judges, that's great. Also, in the beginning of the week, there was the ADGA youth uh, portion and uh, we have new youth representatives. Uh, the 2023 ADGA youth rep is Caroline Warren, and the alternate is Cade Cockburn, who we had on for the spotlight sale portion. Uh, so congratulations to them. I'm sure they're going to do a bang-up job. There's also, you. were you there for the award ceremony or no? no? I did not attend the award ceremony, but let me back up really quick because I just, this is a little, and it's not in our notes, so I apologize, but... While the youth events and the judges training were going on, there was also the vet portion of the convention, um, Mm -hmm. the small room portion. And while I didn't get to attend any of that programming just because I was busy with the TC, there were a lot of vets there. And what that means is, first of all, they had some amazing speakers. I know Dr. Mary Smith was there. I know there was just a, they had lectures and workshops just packed. As an industry, I know we always struggle with having vets that are knowledgeable about dairy goats or willing to work with us and work with our dairy goats. So it was really nice to see all these people who were there to get educated about dairy goats and to take that back to their practices and to their clients. So um, that was just cool to see and to know that as an industry, there are facets of veterinarians that want to learn and want to work with dairy goats. So it is an option each year. Convention does have the small ruminants programming for vets. So if your vet may not be knowledgeable but willing to learn, this might be something next year you send them to and uh, get them to attend. For sure. Yeah. I, I saw some pictures on some posts and it seemed like not only was it like really informational stuff, but it was deep. I mean, they had they had organs there to go through, you know, as if it was a rumen, if it was uh, the uh, vaginal tract of the dough with their ovaries, uh, if, you know, just lots of stuff. So it was really cool to see. I wish I was able to attend. Um, Monday was the membership meeting and uh, there was a member that kind of read some thoughts from me. I wasn't able to make it Monday. I was kind of, I was really bummed about it. I was able to make it later in the week, but before we get there, uh, 
the awards ceremony, that was ooh, Monday or Tuesday, right? It's kind of a blur. So convention week, folks, is a blur, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> but there was also, it kind of broke down into two days of different awards. So mm-hmm. each night at convention, there is a general event, whether it's the wine and cheese pairing event, the... I mean, the big one, of course, is the spotlight sale, but then there's the welcome dinner, there's there's the youth banquet. So there's a different event to kind of conclude the night each night. So while these events were going on, there were two sets of awards given. The first set was the ADGA Pioneer Programming Award that honored three herds. It honored the, or three, I guess, in or no, sorry, four individuals and four different herds um, Helen Snyder of Starfire Farm in Pennsylvania was one of the recipients, as well as Eleanor Ryder of the Sunkissed Farm in New York. Then you had Barb Norcross of Ebar Farms in New Hampshire. And then finally, you had David Funk of Shenango Hills in New York. And so they were all awarded the ADGA Pioneer or you know, they were all part of the ADGA Pioneer program. Yeah. And, and there was lots of awards given out. Uh, you know, the Mary Farley Award, Robin Psalm, uh, Helen Hunt Distinguished Service Award, all that good stuff. So uh, really great. I, I, I really appreciate the Friend of ADGA Award because, you know, you don't really think of that. But Dr. Mary Smith has done a lot for uh, dairy goats. I'm glad that she was recognized on some level for that. The awards night seems like it was like, you know, nights because it was two nights. Um, seems like it was really uh, a good way to just notice these people that work hard in our industry. And then we also have two. Hi- we had two historic herd names that were accepted, and so Little Rock Springs from the or which was owned by Ann. Wakel, I believe, and then the Perfection Herd, owned by Sally Callahan, were awarded the historic herd name, which there's a lot of criteria to be designated a historic herd name, and it's a huge honor. So to have two new herds there, they should definitely be proud of all the work they put in, in their breeding programs and their influences in the breeds. And um, so congratulations to them and to everyone who was awarded the different awards throughout the convention. Congratulations, everybody. You got Sunday. It was your, your busy, stressful day. What did you do Monday and Tuesday while you're at convention because I didn't get there till Wednesday? So I think I misspoke earlier. I think I arrived Saturday again. Sorry, everyone. Convention was a blur. Saturday mm-hmm. was the pre-TC. <laughs> Sunday was TC day one. And then Monday was TC day two. Yeah, I thought so, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> nope. I just, listen, uh, between last week and this week, I probably had, I mean, even I had a conversation with you earlier in the week and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, today's not Thursday. And you're like, no, it's Wednesday. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I was thinking it was this day. And I just, my <laughs> days are not, I think because I, we started later on a TC than what you would normally do. And it pushed it to Monday. I am just all sorts of turned around on what day of the week it is and all of that fun stuff. So I apologize to everyone because 
as we were talking and I was throwing out days was not correct at all. But so (laughs) Tuesday and Wednesday, I attended some programming. I also had to be an adult with adult responsibilities too. you know, that darn job. But um, (laughs) but I was able to kind of attend programs and watch some really educational seminars and learned a lot. I mean, and I don't remember what day it was, but I sat in on a talk that Dr. Dr. Fauna Smith gave about reproductive hormones and the reproductive track of a dairy goat as it relates to this was geared towards AI, but the knowledge you have can or that she gave also just kind of applies to your breeding season in general. And so that was really interesting and had me twitching to just start using a bottle of Estromate and inducing everyone in heat when I got home. Um, then I attended another lecture on mastitis prevention, that um, the quality quality milk, oh shoot, I'm blanking on the name, which is horrible because I do use them, but Cornell offers a quality milk program and they'll test your milk. They'll check for mastitis and things like that. And so they gave a talk on just the prevention aspects that you can do to maintain a high level of cleanliness in your milking routine. And so that was really interesting to see as well and learned a lot from that. So as soon as my judges training was done, it was just able to see, to attend these panels. And I learned a lot. It was a really good informative convention. I mean, it was just stacked with great speakers. I was sad that I missed like a few of the classes because I, again, didn't get there till Wednesday, but then I arrived Wednesday uh, about one or two and registered for the day. I wish I was there earlier, but we got there. That's the important part. Uh, So I sat in on the board meeting for a little bit and I didn't catch any programming Wednesday, which is probably for the best because I kept getting pulled in every direction as soon as people were seeing me, you know, talking goats or like, where's Danielle? And you were adulting. So I was like, oh, she's, you know, being an adult and working. (laughs) So you must have found like a nice, quiet coffee place. Oh, 100%. That's what I was going to say. In other words, I was recharging and uh, caffeinating, but we'll call it adulting. So I caught some of the board meeting, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. Uh, But then Wednesday night, we went out to dinner with some friends. Um, Unfortunately, Alice was kind of out of her element, so Tierney... Uh, decided that she'd rather, instead of dealing with a cranky baby, just order in some sushi into the hotel, which I think she was perfectly happy with. And we went out to eat. Things happened. We sang karaoke. We don't really have to touch on that too much. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think anybody wants you to really touch on that too much because it was, let me just say, as an observer, it was very hilarious to watch everyone karaoke Mm. and sing their hearts out. Yeah, okay. Like, you could have just joined in. I don't know why you're being such a bump on the log. Because nobody wants to hear me sing. Uh, okay, point taken. Uh, and So we did that. Then Thursday was kind of our, our time to shine, right? We had two panels that we were a part of. Correct, yes. We did the conversation on social media. And as we talked about, we also did our ringside live 
with Farmer John of the Beekman 1802 farm and had a great time with that. It was so interesting to talk to him and hear about a different perspective in the dairy goat industry. And as we said, we dropped that one last week. So if you haven't listened to that, be sure to listen to that one and just hear about a different way that, I mean, for those that kind of aren't aware of the Beekman 1802 company, they launched a skincare line with soaps and lotions and all sorts of stuff using goat milk. And at least around here, it's been a very successful company. I mean, you can see them on QVC if you're checking out QVC and um, ordering things that way. I mean, online in little boutique gift stores. So they're using dairy goat products and making them mainstream. And so we got to talk with the guy behind the goats in that operation. So um, really cool to sit down and talk to him. And so that was Thursday for us. I mean, is there anything else you want to add about Thursday? Uh, not really. I mean, the social media um, panel with Grace, that was fun. It was It was nice to just talk and not have to worry about recording. Kind of. I don't know if you felt the same way. I, yeah, I don't know. It was different on that one. So. Yeah. I mean, part of me was like, man, this is actually a really good talk. We should have recorded this. But at the same time, it was just like, it was just fun to kind of shoot the breeze. And maybe we'll we'll have her on and discuss that topic uh, for a recording at some point. Um, but yeah, that, that was Thursday. And then Friday was... Uh, the closing membership meeting um, in the morning, which why are, why do we do it at 730 in the morning? Because John, unlike you who leads a very different schedule and has a child who likes to sleep in. And so you are allowed to sleep in as well. Most people are up and moving, especially those that have dairy goats and have to do chores early in the morning. And so 7.30 isn't that early. It is when you... I know it is for you. <laughs> no. So <laughs> on a normal circumstance, it would have been fine. But I was up late uh, discussing goats with people. Um, is that what we're calling it these days? Yeah. yeah. I was up late discussing goats. Uh, so I woke up early. I'm surprised I woke up, to be honest with you, but I'm glad I did. And well, uh, <laughs> so research has shown that when you are discussing goats heavily during mm-hmm. the evening time, you do not sleep very well. And that is partially why um, your next day is affected so much and so you typically have really crappy sleep anyway after you've been up discussing goats for till for all hours of the night but then the other thing is that your body just is like ugh, you basically killed me and so we're just gonna get up because we're miserable yeah oh 100 i am a 35 year old man that does not discuss goats uh, on a regular basis, or maybe a couple times a year. So it was hard, uh, but I, I did get my butt out of bed and showered and uh, 
went down to the uh, closing of the membership meeting and uh, said my piece. And uh, it was, you know, a great close to the week. Afterwards, I had uh, some nice conversations with uh, directors and everybody else. And, um, you know, I, I felt hopeful after that meeting. And then, you know, Friday, I just kind of went to a I think maybe one or two panels. Um, I went to the LGD panel with uh, Ashley Clement Clark, uh, who uh, we've had on the on the podcast before, and you know, that was a really nice uh, portion there. And yeah, then f- I I can't really tell you what I did Friday night. I mean, oh, I know I can I can tell you what I did Friday night. Friday night was a spotlight sale. It was. And let me tell you, there was a lot of glitter and a lot of sparkle and a lot of lots were being shined on that night. What an amazing sale. It it really was. uh, It was great to sit down and kind of watch what was going on. You know, the the uh, hors d'oeuvres before were were great. Uh, Alice loved her little hors d'oeuvres that we got for her and. Um, it was nice to sit there with the family and watch this event, and it was it was pretty incredible to watch. I mean, there was some uh, records that were broken that night, right, Danielle? There was. I'm the last animal of the sale was the old mountain farm buck, and I think his his name is Goldmind, and mm-hmm. he did go for a Goldmind. He set a record of selling for thirty thousand dollars, or Thirty thirty thousand seven hundred dollars. Yeah. And so that was the record. And I believe in the industry, including the Colorama sale, that is the highest selling price of a dairy goat so far. So we got to be there when history was made for the dairy goat industry. Yeah, and not only for just the highest price, but also uh, Dr. Acton's Doe Paisley, she went for a record for standards ever to be sold at a spotlight sale. Was it record for standards or was it record for Alpines? Because I know the La Mancha two or three years ago earned a pretty similar price tag. So I thought I saw no, that it was just for the Alpines, but I may be mistaken. I mean, what do you want to bet on it? <laughs> I don't know. We don't have to bet. But I mean, <laughs> there was... High prices all around. Um, I've watched several spotlight sales. This is the second one I've attended in person. But even the lowest priced animal was still much higher than what you've seen in the past. I mean, there's been spotlight sales where the lowest animal is just under a thousand dollars or a thousand or, you know, 1200 or something like that. And that was not where we were. And so with a time where our economy is kind of going up and down, inflation costs are high, it's crazy in the world. There was a little bit of trepidation about what the prices were going to be and mm-hmm. how things were going to go. It just, I mean, it was a really successful sale and all of the breeders who brought out these animals, um, all of the people who bid, the committee that presented them. I mean, it was just done really well. And so it really does make sense that 
we were able to set a record with that Nigerian and have these really strong prices for the animals because there was just, I mean, it's, you know, we may or may not have done three or or four episodes on what was going to happen at this or the animals that were going to be presented at the spotlight sale. It was impressive. These animals came from coast to coast and just were the, were really strong representations of their breeds. And so Everyone who walked away with the spotlight sale animal should, I'm sure, I'm sure is just as excited as can be. We'll probably be seeing these animals in some aspects, whether it's a buck in his progeny or a doe in the ring around in the next coming years. And I'm excited to kind of see how it all goes. I think basically what you're saying there, and I'm with you here, is we're not saying that we're the reason these records were made because of (laughs) our episode, but records were made and it happened to be the first year that we did our episodes on spotlight sale animals. So just uh, keep that in your hat there, Adga, and remember that for next year. (laughs) Did I break Danielle? I got scared. I was like, oh, shoot. Is he going to do a Lord of the Rings reference? I feel like he had, because you do have this, like, oh, here's the, like, setup, and here's my pitch. And you have your pitches typically pre-planned, and, you know, like, here's the Lord of the Rings reference I want to put into the podcast, (laughs) which, by the way, it's been several weeks, and so, you know, that's probably a good thing. But usually, there's, like, a pause, and then it's just, like, you let it happen, and so that pause kind of happened and I'm like, oh, boy, what are we coming out with? What am I, you know, what's he bringing today? And then we have that. So, well, you know, I'm just spitting facts, spitting facts over here. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> congratulations to all the breeders that had animals in the sale and, uh, you know, your hard work paid off. Those animals looked great and they went for a pretty dime. Yeah. Congratulations. It's, it's just amazing. I think it's time we we jump right into the board meeting. I, it, it was a long three days for these directors, and I think we owe it to the people listening to kind of let them know in cliff notes what was going on. My hat goes out to all of the directors. These dedicated members of our organization sat and worked for three days straight and just really were there to iron out and address the issues that we are facing as an organization. I feel like they really came out of this with a solid direction of how to get Adga back on track. It was great to watch. I I was very happy just sitting there and listening in when I could. Um, One of the, the biggest things is we have probably the deepest most powerful ec that we've had in a long time and that's in the new president mark baden first vice president dr joan dean rao second vice president lisa shepherd and members at large trinity Melmanis and julie mathis i mean that's that's just like a power punch right there it really is and i think the directors worked really hard to create this team and they are i know for a fact already working on trying to solve the issues that need to be addressed with them and the rest of the board 
they're definitely, I, I think that they came in knowing, well, obviously they knew that there was problems and there was a lot to address. I know that there was a sense of anxiousness, ill ease about it, just because they're aware that the NG launch was not successful. It created many issues and backlogs and put pressure on the organization coupled with turnover in uh, staffing changes, different things like that. They knew there was a lot in front of them, but I feel like at the end of the three days, they were wild. They were exhausted, but there was also like this like revitalization of like, we've not that we've figured it out, but like, we know what path we have to take and we can do this. And so mm-hmm. there, I personally feel that after the board meeting, the directors had this sense of, okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It'll take time to get to that open air and get us back where we need to be. But it is possible. I'm going to say that with just the announcement of the new EC, the membership pissed me off. And not the membership in in totality, but in particular, uh, members in District 3 that made a post basically saying, oh, so we have these new people on the EC. Is it okay for an EC member to have us blocked on Facebook? And it was a resounding yes. It's their personal page. If they don't want to see your content and they don't want you to see their content, that's up to them on their personal page. It is not an ADGA page. It's literally their personal private Facebook page. And to see something so minuscule to the entire scope of what is ADGA and what is happening on ADGA and just attacking this new EC, the five people that were are willing to step up when, I don't know about you, but I would never want to take this task on because they're going to be pulled away from their farms regularly. They're going to be working many hours during the week on top of their daytime jobs. Hello. And it's a huge task. This is a historic year. And to see people attacking them because they're not friends with them on Facebook or they have them blocked is absolutely ridiculous. It's repulsive. And I, for one, will never speak to that person again because I don't take that pettiness lightly. It's disgusting and they need to grow up. So I just want to throw that out there. Congratulations to the five new members of the EC. I am rooting for you. If you need help with anything, please message me. But to that member, grow up. Listen, I I think it was, you know, what you said is well said. And I do think that there's, and this is just kind of in general, that people forget that just because somebody is putting themselves they're in a leadership position. They can be reached in different ways, whether it's through Facebook or what have you, that there is a difference between being part of that leadership and being reachable at all hours and being the representation of the voice and needing to be accessible and open. And communication is going to be done 
the way it's been or will hopefully be done again through emails, through the ADGA Facebook page, again, you know, once they can get that back up and running and different things like that, that the spokesperson does not have to be somebody's personal Facebook profile. Right. We, we have a communications director. <laughs> right. And so that's what I think we, while we, the group pages on Facebook are great for getting information out early or for problem shooting as a like crowdsourcing help or making sure information is available quickly, it is not official communication. And so when somebody comments, be it a new EC member, a director, whatever, that is because they've taken the initiative and want to do it, not that their position tasks them with that. And we should move on into uh, some of the different committee reports that were presented and decisions that were made through those reports. We'll start off with the finance committee. There will be increases in membership fees, $15 for non-youth and $10 increase for youth members. And I know I saw people on the old Facebook uh, that were kind of upset saying, well, they can't, if you can't provide us a service, why are you upping the fees? Well, it's, it's quite simple. Everything in life has gone up in price. But not only that, ADGA's in trouble and it has to come from somewhere. These price increases are for the better of the registry. Um, There was also an increase in LA stop fees, correct, Danielle? Yes. So the minimum stop fee went from $350 to $400. One of the things they did make clear in that is it is the minimum stop fee. It is not a, you need to have the amount of does to hit that stop fee. Let's say it used to be 15 does that you, you know, to break your break even would be if you had 15 does that would give you a $350 bill for your stop. And it's not now you have to have 20 does to qualify for that stop. It is right. just that if you want to have your stop, your herd appraised and it's easier to just have your herd at one stop, you just have to pay at minimum $400 instead of like say you need to have 20 goats. It's This is the fee that's going to happen. Once you meet that with the animals presented, then it'll you know go above that and you'll be charged extra. But until you reach that threshold... It's just a 400 flat fee and they will try and get you in. Scheduling allows it. Right. Even if you don't meet like a, there's no minimum number anymore um, to reach that. You just have to pay that $400. And I mean, between price of gas, price of rental cars, price of food, all of that stuff. I mean, it is, it's still the amount of information you would get in an LA day. I still think it's well worth that increase. Oh, I, I think that it's they're really undercharging for all of the money that these appraisers have to spend to go around. And yeah, I know they get paid, but uh, I think that they could have easily said, hey, we're going up $100 or $150. And I, for one, wouldn't have batted an eye. Um, I know people would have been pretty upset at first, but uh, I, in my opinion, anything to keep the, the program going. There were There was also an increase in fees for mail-in registrations. Go figure. Hey, guys, we're moving to uh, 2023. 
uh, coming up here and the internet is a thing. And if you can register your animals online, you should. Yeah. Increase in the fee, not a huge deal. Um, did you want to add on to anything on that before we move on to the next part? No. Okay. All right. Uh, DNA. Hey, mandatory DNA has been pushed uh, until January 1st, 2024 instead of 2023. Uh, so hopefully everything will be able to be processed a little bit quicker by then. Um, but yeah, mandatory DNA is still a thing and it's it's still coming. And I mean, I'm sure there's quite a few people that uh, think that it's about dang time. And me, me being one of them. Right. And I, I mean, I don't necessarily know if this official change from 2023 to 2024 is going to do anything different for my program because I have heard the stories that other of what other breeders have gone through and just recognize that it is so much better to have DNA on file for your animals as you're working with them and using them in your breeding program and just the stress aggravation and then human error too. I mean, kidding season comes around. You're three to, you know, you're three weeks in and you've been feeding these goats every three hours or every, you know, six hours. And you're running on no sleep because you're watching your problem dough and you're exhausted. And so there's just this increase in human error as well, particularly um, when you have multiple people work, you know, there's multiple people, then there's multiple animals kidding at once. Like you just run this risk. And so I am a big proponent in get those bucks, particularly DNA typed before you really start using them for breeding. And so this mandatory DNA isn't going to really change anything in my herd. But I do think that if you aren't DNAing your bucks, you probably should start thinking about getting them done because it is something we're going to have to do in the coming year. But I just think it'll save you from a lot of heartache and stress by typing at least your bucks. And then if you want to be, you know, do the best practice, your does as well. But um, it is something it will have to happen. In the meantime, it doesn't hurt to have your bucks on file at this moment anyway. I kind of want to take a step back too from that. Um, I forgot to mention that there was a, there's an emergency management task force for um, which approved the hiring of a full-time senior accountant and full-time project manager manager and acceptance of the organization restructuring plan. Uh, And with that in the finance committee, there was also the approval to hire a new uh, lawyer as our previous lawyer uh, has um, moved on from ADCA. So that's two points that I just kind of wanted to quickly bring up. Nothing really to discuss there. We do, however, have some stuff to discuss uh, within the National Show Committee's report. Wouldn't you agree, Danielle? There was a lot that happened with the National Show and a lot of board action was made. So yeah, walk mm-hmm. us through some of the stuff that happened. Okay. Firstly, they voted to allow the Sable Breed another year to meet eligibility requirements for exhibition. So basically, for those that aren't aware, uh, you have to have a certain amount of animals at the national show to meet uh, the requirements um, for exhibition. If you don't meet those two years in a row, 
you get bumped down to display status again. Um, so like Guernseys right now are um, trying to get displaced or are, are trying to achieve the numbers for display status. They didn't make it last national show. Sables did not meet those numbers in 2021 or 2022. Uh, I was actually sitting in on the meeting during this discussion. I have kind of mixed feelings on this. Do you want me to um, say how I feel before you, you weigh in or do you want to weigh in first, Danielle? No, go for it. Okay. They didn't meet the numbers, um, and basically they're voting to give them a pass for this one-time pass. Basically, if they don't meet the numbers next year, then they have to go back down to display. Uh, For me, I have mixed feelings because I can see a slippery slope where another breed, say Togs, doesn't meet numbers two years in a row. And they say, oh, well, you did it for the Sables. For me, that's just something that if we're going to have this rule that you have to have these numbers, then we need to adhere to them. We can come up with an excuse for things not happening the way they did. I mean, Guernsey breeders um, could say, hey, we were going to meet the display numbers, but one of the breeders got turned away. So we didn't meet the numbers, but we would have. And I could see that happening. I can I can already hear the clicking of the keyboard right now as emails are being sent to Uh, directors or anybody else my thing is is giving them a pass to not get bumped down to display beneficial i can see it going bad but i can also i have eyes we can also see that you know they didn't have the numbers this year or last year but there were still quality animals within those shows so do we really need to have a certain number once you uh get past display status I don't know. Um, I think that that's a rule that could possibly go away. I mean, I don't think we're going to have a national show where we have five milkers uh, of a breed to sort through and one of the lucky five gets national champion. I just don't see that happening. I think we'll, it'll still be a competitive show. Um, it just some years the numbers might be lower. In the Northeast, we don't have the Sable presence. No, in the South, we don't have the Guernsey presence. Uh, if you go into kind of like the Texas area um, or the South, uh, you don't have a ton of Oberhasli, and the quality shows when you see some of the show results. So it's, I just, I don't know. I don't know what the real answer is for this. I mean, I've had discussions with uh, directors about this, and you know, I had a two-hour discussion about it with Bruce Foster for crying out loud about it. And, uh, you know, we kind of, we, we had different points of view and I think the breeds just needs to, the breed needs to work together, all these breeders, uh, to fulfill these numbers. And it shouldn't be on one person. That's what I think. If we're going to give this a pass, then maybe we need to look at getting rid of the rule altogether. No, no, that's an interesting perspective on it. And there is a lot of pressure, particularly on the sable breed. And there's been pressure since I first started exhibiting at nationals, probably, you know, eight, nine years ago, maybe 10 years ago, um, that there's only been a few herds in the sable breed particularly. Uh, uh, so I personally feel that, yes, when numbers were low in other breeds, those breeders were still working together to 
exhibit animals and bring them to a national show. And you had multiple, multiple breeders bringing animals out. In the sable breed, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that is as much the case. That as breeders, they have been relying on two herds to and two large herds to supply the sables that they need to make numbers. And how that influences the breed is a major thing. How it creates the animals in the breed is a major thing. It is just a stressor. And so I think that you're by putting all the pressure on only two farms or most of the pressure on only two farms is not allowing or it's not doing the breed justice. And so if Sables really want to play on a national stage, they, as a breeder across, breeders across the country need to step up and make it happen. And I think it'll do wonders for the breed if they do. I mean, I think about, I know they didn't have as many numbers in Louisville last year, but you had animals exhibited there that were well deserving of a national win, but also they made people excited about the breed and the new changes and the animals there. And if you can keep doing that, if you can, as a breeding population, bring animals out and exhibit them on a national stage and have people excited, it's going to make people want to add sables to their herd and start exhibiting them exhibiting them too there there was another uh big decision for the national show committee um and the board and that was the removal of milk out and i'm gonna let you weigh on in on this one first so i don't know how i feel about it honestly well let me just back up and say that milk out was removed typically at a national show for anybody who wasn't aware about 18 hours before the start of the show, some volunteers for the milk out would come and check out all the animals that had to be exhibited the next day and make sure they were milked out. And so the issue is that they often don't have enough help to do a milk out, particularly in the bigger breeds. And people are just pulled in so many directions. And so they always struggle with volunteers. So they did away with the milk out. And like I said, I don't know how I feel about it. Personally, I don't know if it changes anything in my national show management because I always use that as a benchmark when I was milking out my does for this. And then I would monitor my does closely the morning of the show and decide if I need to take out milk or obviously not put milk in, but kind of manage the dough and how she looked. You would do the same with or without the police or the enforcement of a milk out because ultimately you want your dough to look her very best when she's walking around at the national show. And we know that if you bag your dough up too much, not only is it going to change her mammary shape, it's going to potentially distend her foreudder and cause it to kind of showcase a bubble or a pocket. But it also affects general appearance issues as well. If she is too full, she might not be able to walk around that mammary system. So her feet and legs, which if you look at the scorecard, is a large portion of 
the general appearance category and in the whole scorecard as well. And so if she can't walk, first of all, the judges are going to see an animal who can't walk and they're not going to really want to give her a second look. But she, they're going to think she's weak on those feet and legs when it might be that she just doesn't have the space to walk around a really, really full udder. She's also going to be uncomfortable. That may cause that back and rump to change its shape. She might look roached. She might look weaker in that loin than what she would if that mammary system is uttered properly. So I completely understand the idea of people should be managing their does to have milk, but not have too much milk where issues arise. I understand that idea. I get a little hesitant in the idea of forcing, or not forcing, but asking judges to tell a breeder that there is too much milk in her udder and that she needs to be relieved slightly, just simply because while I think the judges will have no problems doing that and they have every right to, it just disrupts the show. And so let's say you have, I mean, let's say you're in the senior, you're in the age doe class and you're, or let's go five and six, because usually there's a few more does at a national show in like the five or six than the seven and higher class. But you have 20 does in that class and the judges, because it's that much later in the day and people milked out early the day before. And so these animals have 30 hours of milk or something horrible. And these does are distended. They need to be relieved a little before they enter. So let's say it's five does. So those five does are asked to go to the side, milk in their stainless steel pails, get relieved and then come in. But that's potentially a fourth of your class. And so I don't know, I just am a little hesitant to see how the flow will work. But I think if breeders truly want to showcase their animals best and understand that there is, while awards at the national show are important and very exciting and influential, if you're only concerned about the national show and what that animal does in just that show and not for the rest of her lactation or going to another show and being able to perform there, I I almost hesitate to say that you might need to take a step back and just reprioritize because I understand how important and influential nationals can be and how it'll change a breed and change breeding programs and influence buck selection and things like that. I I completely understand the importance of it. If that is all that it is towards your herd and you cannot look past the fact of like, let me just bag this doe up and because her udder is going to look really good with 45 hours and I'm okay having to have a vet come out and watch as I'm milking her out in case she kind of collapses from shock, there's a problem there. I'm going to be a little bit controversial with what I say with this to add on to what you just said. I agree in entirety to what you said. You said at one point, you know, the doe needs to be able to walk around the udder. Well, I've been to one national show and at that one national show, I've seen animals get into the ribbons. I'm not going to say where that could not even walk around their udder um, at all, like at all. 
So like I like I think some judges and I'm going to preface this with I'm not talking about all judges. I'm going to say some judges, right? I think there are some judges that look past that and they're like, oh, well, she's just a little bit more full because it's been a long show and they didn't have time to milk her out or whatever. I also think there are some judges that they'll see who is on the collar of whatever dough has too much milk and say, ooh, that's so-and-so. I'm not going to tell them to, that their dough needs to get out or milk some of it out and bring it back in. First of all, I did catch some of the discussion within the board about this. I, I tried getting there as fast as I could. Um, when I got a text saying, hey, they're talking about this. One of the directors did point out, we don't have time at a national show to take the time out for somebody to take their dough out, get a milk bucket, milk it out a little bit, bring it back in and see if that's good. Like it's just, it eats up a lot of time. So in my understanding, um, and I don't think this is official yet because the rule changes haven't come out, but from what I heard being spoken about, it seems to me that that opportunity will not be there. That if you get asked to leave the ring, that your animal's probably not going to be able to be let back in. Don't don't take that as Bible because that can change and it's not official yet. Uh, you got to wait until those rules come out prior to nationals. I think there are judges that can't look past faces. Um, and that's the biggest concern for me. Uh, there's also newer breeders that don't know what too much milk looks like yet. Um, some people just don't. So they're going to go to a national show. They're going to put 30 hours of milk in whatever dough to try to get you know, bigger capacity because the dough just doesn't have it. And I mean, I've seen it at local shows. And if you didn't know, you they'd get away with it. Um, it's just, I, it feels bad. Like I get that we don't have the volunteers to step up and do milk check every year. Like it's always a cry on Facebook or cry in person to get volunteers because we don't have them. And, you know, the national show committee is a very large committee, but for a task like that, I mean, first of all, not all of them step up to do milk check. They just don't. And second of all, it's a huge task with all these animals that we have at national shows. So it's, it's really just a big ask. So I get why, there was reasoning to take it out. I'm surprised it was taken out. I know we have a lot of directors that are vehemently against taking it out, uh, but it's, it, it is what it is now. It's a thing. So I think as an industry and having people that are coming from the outside in to watch this show or watching on live stream, uh, every breeder needs to be responsible. And I, I really hope that whatever judges from here on out are judging these animals are responsible but not caring who's on the stinking collar of that dough and kicking them out if they're way too overbacked. Like it just it would be unacceptable to see all these animals just trifling around these these big bags uh, and not able to move. So I think it's going to be interesting. I know for me, it's not going to affect me whatsoever. I'm still going to milk my does out at a proper time and give them uh as much comfort as possible. Um, but it's going to be, that's going to be something next year. No, it'll definitely be interesting to see how it turns out. And again, just use caution. You know, your animals should have 
bagged a doe up beforehand to, first of all, give her mammary system time to stretch and adjust to being full, to have her learn how to walk with a full udder, increase that capacity. But that'll also give you the glimpse of what kind of milk you need. And, mm-hmm. you know, yes, there are things that change the amount of travel you have to do, the stress of the animal, but it should be like any other show and you should be able to be competitive with that 16, 18 hour full fill in general speaking. Um, obviously there are some dose that are different and, but manage your dose properly because over over uttering is not going to necessarily might help them quickly for a second or two, but it's not going to help them in the long run. And if you're not doing it right, you're going to have issues that are going to just affect the mammary system. It's going to affect their general appearance. It's going to, it's going to change how that animal looks. And so it's not, it's not, it doesn't behoove you to do that. Mm. It doesn't, but Again, you know, sometimes things happen. Crazy things happen. So, I mean, just add it to the list of crazy national show things that'll possibly happen. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's kind of the gist of what happened at convention. Um, You know, there was obviously other uh, committees that uh, had their end of year reports and, you know, had issues to bring to the board. Um, and I encourage everybody, you know, on the district pages, you can find this list and, you know, maybe I'll take screenshots and add it to the post or something uh, or a post later on in, in the week here. Uh, but yeah, there, there was a lot of really strong work done by our board, um, some very hard decisions to make. Um, but as I was speaking with directors at the end of the meeting, um, a lot of them said, and I spoke to quite a few of them, uh, that they came out feeling hopeful when they went in. They thought that it was not going to be a good thing. Um, I will also reiterate before I turn it over to Danielle, there was a definite gear change within our board of directors where working together, working towards small victories is what's going to get us back to where we need to be. Um, And it's not going to happen overnight. I will encourage the membership listening to, yes, the word that everybody hates. Yes, be patient and let them work. They have a ton of work to do, a mountain of problems that were created by previous leadership that need to be fixed, and it's not going to be easy. So I would suggest to everybody to maybe the next time you you think you're going to get um, sharp-tongued online, and this is me included, uh, to think twice and think about what's happening um, and th- kind of you know, go from there. But definitely uh, just remember that these volunteers – are working very hard and they they want this organization to succeed i should say association to succeed um just as much as we do yeah i mean i know we hate the term have patience but mm-hmm. 
what everyone has to understand is there was only so much they could do leading up to this board meeting. And so the board meeting happened and thing, this is where the board of directors does a lot of their work for the year. Yes, we have postal ballots and things can happen at different times. This is where the work really gets done. And they went in knowing there was a lot of work to do. They passed the, or I don't even know what the word is at this point. They moved forward with the motions that needed to be moved forward. And so the things are there to move everything in the right direction and or the the framework is there and now they have to build the house and so just like a house you have to just have a little time at for the walls to be built and all of that you know the paint to dry and things like that to really be able to move in and have a great home so let them construct it. Yeah, let them build. <laughs> so I, I am very optimistic for this year. I mean, obviously, um, in previous episodes, uh, I probably sang a, a different tune, but I can tell you, being there in person, seeing all the work that had to be done, hearing all of the issues that are at hand, it's definitely going to take time. So that's why I am advocating a little bit of patience now. And, um, you know, if there are issues that are just egregious, yeah, like let's, let's voice our concern, but let's not attack our directors, our EC members, anybody. Uh, it's just not going to get anything done. They need to work. And I still encourage, uh, as I did at the end of the membership meeting that, uh, you know, directors need to work together and not attack the membership as well. So it's, as another director said, it's a two-way, uh, two-way street. And uh, it's definitely something that um, needs to go both ways. So with that, I think that's a good spot to end our discussion on convention. There was just, We could go on for another hour and a half. It, there was just so much done. Um, this is really just a blanket coverage of of convention um it was a wonderful time and daniel did you want to add anything as far as convention goes before we wrap this up i just want to wrap it up that convention was a great experience i one thing we didn't do is mention the host group which was the new york state dairy goat breeders mm-hmm. association um between Getting the speakers and Dr. Tatiana Scranton of Cornell University was kind of at the helm of that, but it was very much a New York State Dairy Goat Association put on convention. The animals that were brought out for the TC and the linear appraisal workshop and the different things, um, just the general organization of it was just done so successfully and so Um, A huge shout out to the host organization and all of those involved. Um, It was it was a really great convention. And I just think and I I can't even really say I'm biased because like, yes, I'm part of the New York State Club. But the amount of work I put in was, you know, nothing compared to the real true 
backbone of that club. But they just did such a great job. There was, everybody was so hospitable. There was great programming. Um, The space was great. I just, a really well done convention. And so I just want to put that out there that um, it was definitely one that if you didn't go, you missed it. And um, yeah, I want to echo those, those sentiments and, and also, yeah anybody that is thinking about going to convention definitely go because it is wonderful to see other breeders to sit on on some different workshops uh listen to the board meeting i mean there's so much to learn uh and i look forward to the next one that we do attend so uh, with that i guess we'll wrap it up Uh, this has been ringside an american dairy goat podcast i'm john and i'm danielle Hey, we'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.